by stepping out of your human sensory sack and into perception of other organisms, it does kind of shake that feeling of human self-importance and you get a, a kind of feeling of how precious and unusual everything is. Even a blade of grass is pretty whacked out when you really get into it. Hello and welcome to the Culture and Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Severin Matusek. The Culture and Technology Podcast is a virtual salon initiated by the Vienna Business Agency, in which experts from Vienna and around the globe explore how technology is reshaping the future of culture. What is reality? Throughout the ages, the question of how we experience the world around us has persisted as one of the most fundamental and hard-to-answer philosophical questions. The tricky thing when thinking about the answers is, of course, it's simply impossible to escape our own bodies, our own brain, and our senses. And thus, we'll never find out what the world looks like for an animal, a tree, or anything else that's not a human being. But what if virtual reality can help us break free from these boundaries? And what if artworks could have the power to fundamentally change our perspective? To find that out, I invited Barnaby Steele to join us. Barnaby is a London-based artist who creates immersive virtual experiences. As a co-founder of Marshmallow Laser Feast, Barney and his team are one of the world's leading art collectives that explore our connection with the natural world through extended reality experiences. Our second guest is Eva Fischer. Joining us from Vienna, Eva is an independent curator, cultural manager, and lecturer. She's also the initiator of Saiva, Vienna's new media art festival, and has been curating and teaching immersive art and experimental media for the past 15 years. Together with Evan Barney, I sat down to explore how technology can enable us to see the world differently. As a curator and lecturer, I've been interested in virtual technology since a few years now. And um, Barney and me first met at a conference in Vienna um, that the Forward Festival did together with the Vienna Business Agency back then. I'm actually happy to say that we did several nice projects together since that day. And um, well... One of my highlights actually was uh, seeing the ocean of air that you did at the Saatchi Gallery in London from the very first second that you would arrive as a, as, as a visitor at the Saatchi Gallery and uh, you would take or your team would take uh, the audience on this really nice journey that was a, a breathing sensor, I think, and a sensor that would measure your heartbeat. And yeah, then actually stepping inside this virtual world and uh, being able to uh, see everybody else uh, in terms of having this visualization of everybody's vascular system and um, visualizing my own breath. That is really something that stayed in my mind. And um, I found that was a very fascinating virtual experience that I had. I, I wanted to ask you like how that project evolved for you. Thanks. Thanks, Eva. It was, um, yeah, it's great to, to get that feedback because, uh, you know, that the making of the work is often in a dark warehouse room. There's the capturing of the work where we were LIDAR scanning sequoia trees, but there's such a contrast between um, the process of making essentially a computer game and then having real people interact with it. And it's always rewarding to hear. It's probably worth me talking about the... Um, kind of incentive behind the work because 
we're big believers in, I guess, the power of science to create a perspective shift and a new sense of wonder and appreciation about the world. And and I think um, Richard Feynman is one of our big influences. He uh, he's got a great little lecture where he talks about um, his friend who has a, a sort of artistic sensibility, looks at a flower, and he can maybe be a bit more sensitive to the textures and the colors of that flower. But when Richard, a scientist, looks at the flower, he uh, he understands that the reason it's red is because it's co-evolved in relationship to the eyeball of a pollinator. And it asks questions about, does that pollinator have an aesthetic sense like a human does? And, th- and there's other deeper sort of beauties to a flower, the way it works, the way it photosynthesizes, you know, its ability to, to sort of eat sunlight and process that into the energy that's at the source of the food chain and, and all of life all, all of these um all of these stories are coming through our scientific observation and so it always adds to a sense of wonder and so i think this is really the backbone of what we're doing we're collaborating with scientists to explore the world that exists beyond the limits of our perception and um you know another way of thinking about that is looking up at, at the stars through hubble space telescope the images that you see from that they create um they're obviously completely beautiful um almost beyond description but how does that affect you when you look up at the stars um because your your eyeballs just see these you know small pinpricks but somewhere in your imagination um those images have registered and it and it can create a deeper sense of wonder i think so to to tie all of that together ocean of air is uh, one of these projects that's using um our scientific understanding and lens on the world to create that sense of wonder for a a forest so in this experience we're just revealing the connections between plant and animal through breath and um, breath is a great way of breaking down any feeling of separation because the moment you stop breathing you die so you rely on breath for life but um, breath is part of a process that ties you into the plant kingdom you know the trees create the atmosphere in order for the trees to create the atmosphere, they're taking the energy from the sun. So um, essentially these flows are, when, when they're made visible, it paints a picture where all of the humans in the scene, you can see the flow of oxygen through their bodies. So you see the, the kind of branching um, cardiovascular systems. And then kind of like umbilical cords, you see the flow of carbon dioxide and oxygen through the air that connects um, to the trees. And so, yeah, in, in Ocean of Air, we were basically exploring, making visible those connections. I suppose a really important part to it is, is this idea of how you see other people in the virtual world. Because when you see, um, when skin becomes transparent, we found that um, people interact with strangers and uh, you know there's no judgment on age or or gender or race you're, you're kind of connected as these branching beings and I think that perspective shift is also true when you start seeing the world not as separate individuals but as um, one interconnected system um, so that's kind of what we're hoping to to get in the work oh, that's very interesting um actually we are thinking a lot about avatars and all that um creating a new uh, exhibition environment for the cyber festival that's going to happen in february and uh, we're creating all those virtual worlds and uh, want to want to make people come together and um we're also thinking yeah about the avatars a lot uh, in terms of uh, you know non-binary uh, 
kind of approach. Did you have any uh, learnings from that? I've been listening to this guy, uh, Rupert Spira, and he's he does ceramics and non-dualism. And uh, he, he talks about um, or, or one sort of perspective on consciousness is that uh, when we think of an actor in a play, I think he talks about um, Ham, Hamlet or somebody. So we, we know that Hamlet is uh, a character in a play and um, and that character is not real, but the actor is real. So when the actor puts on the clothes of Hamlet and performs that role, it makes Hamlet feel completely real. Um, and in, in a similar way, he talks about the, the, the reality of time and space that we experience is, um, is not real. And it's actually consciousness puts on the clothes of reality and performs it. So actually... Um, all of us are, are characters in this play of, of consciousness, but uh, you take a step back from your character and the source of your awareness is actually um, flowing through all things. And whether this is true or not, I guess it's, very, it's one of those things that's very hard to ever put a finger in, but something that does translate is our ability to lose ourselves in a story. I think we can all relate to losing ourselves in a film um, or in a book and um you know that that place where we're able to sort of empathize or embody characters as if they're ourselves also happens when you're watching dancers um you know scientists talk about mirror neurons in the brain and how um it actually triggers the way your body would move if you were that dancer you sort of put yourselves in their shoes so when you translate this to um avatars it's it's a way of um embodying something someone other than yourself in a way that uh, probably requires less imagination but is also something that's really familiar to us it's not like you know we've been imagining that for in all sorts of different ways we did explore this uh, in a piece called in the eyes of the animal where uh, we put you in the sensory systems of a dragonfly a mosquito a frog and an owl you can't simulate a sense that you don't have but you can give a sort of poetic sense of what that might be like. It's like trying to explain to a blind person what the richness of color looks like. Words and texture or the combination of all of your other senses are never going to add up to the richness of sight. But um, you can explore some interesting ideas that can give you that sense of um, how, how all of you know, this collage of different organisms occupy a forest environment each one, imagine how um, space and time sort of stretch and shrink. You know, if you're a, if you're a dragonfly, uh, your perceived reality is your eyeballs are so close to your brain, everything's happening um, really quickly. So it means the world you see around you, it moves a lot slower than it does say, than, say, you're a human. You also see ultraviolet and infrared color spectrums. And so the more we worked with scientists to understand about different organisms perception the more um wondrous well the more exotic and alien it feels but also um how how amazing it is that there's all of these different flavors of reality and somehow by stepping out of your human sensory sack and into the perception of other organisms it does kind of shake that feeling of human self-importance and you, you get a a kind of humbling well i guess a feeling of how precious and unusual everything is even a blade of grass is pretty whacked out when you really get into it and um in, in that sense how do you also think that science and art um 
can help each other in understanding things like how could you as an artist have an impact on scientific research processes? I guess scientists are playing within quite a um, structured framework. That's a good thing, right? Because, you know, science needs to be accountable and measurable and Otherwise, people would just make stuff up, which they are doing, but they're looking to back it up with evidence, right? So there's a process, although science is constantly getting updated, there's a, there's a process and understanding in place. And as an artist, you're, you're quite free to follow intuitions and explore ideas um, with more creative license and, and poetry. And the, the end outcome doesn't need to be a peer-reviewed paper. It can be... Um, an experience that's maybe reflecting on something that isn't measurable yet and so in that sense I think um, you can you know a lot of the the scientific data or scientific observations need to be reduced to the the data set in order to to sort of prove something and sometimes the beauty gets lost in that process so our our lens is is absolutely on on the beauty and um, and in, in in sort of revealing levels of beauty that maybe aren't apparent to our our, our eyeballs. A good example would be just looking at um, a cell through an electron microscope, or we've also been using um, uh, CT scanners. And uh, and so, for example, when you look at the the structure of a leaf um, through um, a CT scanner, you get such a crazy resolution, it feels like a sort of vaulted cathedral. And the the inner structures... um, have beautiful symmetries, you know, sort of like cathedral roofs. You've got these these symmetries that that flow through the cells that are really, really quite beautiful. And you just wouldn't know. We've got this piece we want to make about photosynthesis because it's so boring. Traditionally, it can be so boring. And it's reduced to like diagrams because there's nothing you can see at that level. But But it's also just really the most crazy idea of this, you know, photons of light um, smearing into probability waves and hitting the energy centers in leaves. And there's only so much we know, but if you look at, you know, all of the most advanced knowledge on how that's working, there's still a lot of visual imagery and ideas about how these things connect. And it's cosmic energy coming in to feed all of life on on the planet. And so we, we wanted to make an experience that was much more like a spiritual experience of the light and and life connecting through that process. Um, and you could see it from different viewpoints, the, the perspective of a photon or a water molecule, or you could just you could start the journey as carbon dioxide leaving your, your own mouth and journeying to the leaf where it becomes part of that process. But um I, I guess I guess my point would be that the yeah it bring back the experiential and or the source of observation back in into it and revealing that beauty is something that we think um is fun it all starts with that it's like oh i'd like to i'd like to experience that so let's see who we can (laughs) collaborate with to make that happen what i'm always wondering is on the one hand i think virtual reality is such a brilliant medium like when it comes to embodied learning and you know like um, getting inside of all that and um, being part of it kind of also as a, a body or an avatar um but what i thought uh, during the first years was that it's such a niche and you know exclusive medium on the other hand and that only a few people have access to 
um, you know, wearing goggles in the museum or like you did at the Saatchi Gallery. I don't know how many people you reached with that many, but it could be more maybe. And what really fascinates me now um, since a few months and maybe having been pushed through the first lockdown that we were facing are all those web VR tools that are popping up and, um, for example, Mozilla Hubs or VRChat or even Viabella or something like that. And um, even if it's still restricted in terms of performance and maybe also resolution and stuff, I do have the feeling that those new technologies yeah, uh, make all those experiences much more accessible to many people and uh, we also experienced that a lot in the team like I'm having this super good team of uh, VR artists developers IT guys and uh, curators and we've been hanging out in several you know VR exhibitions online did a lot of exhibition tours also through our own um, shows that we um, released during the last weeks and met a lot of international people and we even had uh, for example, a radio show, a live show uh, being done in one of our spaces. And what I really love about it is the feeling to be in a room together, you know, in, in the virtual as this third room <laughs> that might be, but spending time together there. Yeah, and that really makes it special. And how do you feel about that? Did you have a look also at, you know, web VR tools or... I, I guess that you think a lot about how to reach your audience. I suppose, you know, mobile phones were like these huge bricks and only sort of businessmen had them and it was they had the battery pack. <laughs> and now, you know, they're in the hands of, of everybody. You can see that there's a trajectory um, of the, the realism of computer graphics. If you look at, you know, the modern day rendered Hollywood blockbusters, you can't tell the difference between something that's been filmed and something that's been rendered. And so um, you can see that just around the corner, that level of realism is going to be um, blurring the line between what's real and what's virtual in a way that's going to be hard to distinguish between the two. And also the accessibility to the devices, you know, eventually it's going to be in the hands of the many. And I think that sort of, that, evolution of, of technology is something that's um, impossible to stop and it's it's happening so um, it's interesting to think um, how do you engage with that in a way that can um, reconnect us to the, the world around us because I think you could say that part of the problems we experience you know with deforestation you know you're, you're reaching for some some um, body butter in the supermarket because your skin's a bit dry and some, somehow your reach extends around the globe and um, is connected to deforestation in Indonesia. You know, this when things become global and you're not aware of the impact of your reach, then it causes problems. But you would never chop down a tree to, to moisten your, uh, to, to, you know, to get smooth skin. You, no one in their right mind would do that. So um, it's interesting to think, are we trying to disconnect or reconnect? And, and so with the projects that we're, we're working on, it's always about what happens when you take the headset off. Um, has, it, has the experience in some way, you know, um, shortened that gap? Have you, through, through having a, a bre an intimate breathing experience with a tree that's a real tree, it's got a GPS position, it's, you can go and visit it, 
it's been lidar scanned you know that gives you a connection with a, a place that you might never visit so um i, I guess where, where i'm going with this is, is sort of thinking about how um, immersive technology can maybe give us intimate experiences of ecosystems that um we maybe should care about but don't care about because there's something that you know we've never been there and never likely to go there um the same could be said of david attenborough's nature programs that most a lot of people's experience of nature outside of their tv is pretty limited you know who's who's really seen anything like you know been to the arctic whales the whole thing it's mainly through your tv so in the same way i think we would hope that when we're when we're old and we look back on our legacy you know maybe we've done what attenborough did for the tv maybe we've done that for virtual worlds and um in doing so you know created a uh a movement towards conservation that would be that would be the hope but i know exactly what you mean i mean i saw tree hugger and the ocean of air and for me it's uh, in my memories i have the feeling that i was there i i was inside of that sequoia tree and i was able to to fly above and um so i'm not sure if you know in my memories a movie would have the same i don't know extent you know it's really this bodily kind of experience that makes it um so special vr has a power for that i think yeah it's sort of um it's you're less aware i guess with the film maybe a, a, you know cinemas are in really dark rooms for a reason and to put you into that so you're not aware of your surrounding you're you're like lost in the film and um and vr is stepping through the screen isn't it i would uh, as a last question go into the direction of you know um if artistic vr projects can raise awareness for not only science but also maybe for political topics is that a good way to go in terms of um how can we also deal with the whole situation that we're in now you know lockdown and uh, physical distancing and i've been thinking about this thing of um empathy and when you kick into gear it's like if you're uh basically when when you've had an experience that really affects you so for, for example if you're if a member of your family was uh, murdered through knife crime then the chances of you fighting really hard against knife crime and dedicating your life to uh putting an end to that then um you know you're going to have this because it's there and you've experienced the horror of it it's it's going to have an impact and and probably on the other side if you've been swimming with sperm whales and someone offers you some sperm whale sushi you're you're going to be disgusted so there there is this correlation between uh, the things you care about and the things you experience it's also true that like love is the the best tool we have and like if you if you think about nature beauty is this kind of um is this tool for survival in a way you know the beauty is seen throughout nature and it connects plants and animals and 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 we're drawn to to, to that beauty as well so i i kind of feel like um that, that there's there's something in um artwork or experiences that offer deep intimate experience with sort of individuals and that that allows or, or that is our best bet for creating empathy I don't think it works so well from the helicopter view of a deforested um 
you know, when you get that kind of clear-cut deforestation view, it's too much to, to engage with. But when you look at a single tree and um, all of the organisms in symbiosis and get to experience their different lens on reality, and then to understand that that's disappearing, you know, that thousands of those go every split second, that's, that probably has a lot more impact than the aerial view. So, Barney, what uh, I would really like to talk with you about with the digital technologies, um, online tools make it possible um, for us to stay connected or to even create new networks or to bond with others. So this thing of intimacy and um, and what we care about and empathy. So I feel like if you look at like who's who's eating their dog no one's eating their dogs right but you'll eat a lamb probably you'd you'd really really struggle to eat a lamb if you'd uh, grown up with it and it had a name and, and you shared life with it and I think we live in a sort of strange time where the, our sort of reach can go around the globe and there's this the impact to our actions we can feel very distanced to things because we don't have that intimate experience and um and I think it's true to say that we care about the things that we fall in love with and and that changes our behavior so if, you, if you're if you're looking for a shift from consumerism to conservation i think the the route to that is through people having a deep intimacy and and so virtual reality is actually an amazing way to create that experience not only because you can um you're simulating the way the body experiences the world so you're you're creating a deeper immersive experience which is more in kin with the way you meet people face to face so i think the power the collage of all those senses being engaged creates a deeper connection but also you can take people out of their own bodies which is something that you can only do in your imagination and so the power to then see the world through the eyes of other people or other organisms is or, or even just to be you know shrunk down to, to or expanded to different levels you're able to appreciate um I guess the um, richness of other life forms in a way that you probably couldn't, even if you were standing in, even if you were standing in front of a tree, to really understand it or engage with it as a living, breathing being is quite hard and, until you think about accelerating time, and then you can see the way it reaches for the sun, and and then when you can see inside, you realise that its um, its roots extend out and it's connected to the other trees and that they're sharing nutrients, and there's all of these narratives that evolve that change the way you think about that tree but you can't really see that with your with your eyeballs and so what i'm getting to with all of this is that um through the beauty of of science but also um the qualities of virtual reality being able to embody um, other people's perspectives i think all of those um kind of tools are a great way to create empathy and um and create the kind of deeper experiences that might change the way you think about yourself in relationship to other people and to the planet. That's it for today. For our next episode, we will explore what digital objects are and why museums collect them. If you are interested in finding out more about Barney and Eva and their work or the general topics they touched on, may I point you to the show notes in your podcast app, where a useful list of resources and links awaits you. 
The Culture and Technology Podcast is produced by the Vienna Business Agency. The Vienna Business Agency supports Vienna's businesses, economy, and creative industries, and in doing so, shapes the city's future. Over and out. I hope you'll join us next time.